Greetings and welcome to Resistance Recovery. Resistance Recovery is dedicated to the exploration of any and all topics related to recovery, spirituality, and culture. Join us as we interview thought leaders working at the edges of cultural transformation. My name is Piers Kanuka, and I'll be your host. something a little different this week so this this uh, episode is going to be called um i don't know talking cool. resistance recovery sure <laughs> and we're going to flip the the switch and james is actually going to interview me about resistance recovery so we'll see where this goes yeah hopefully somewhere strange <laughs> I think we're starting somewhere strange, so that should be easy. Probably. Yeah. Uh, the, the, my concept for this is that uh, if you're new to resistance recovery or you just you saw a YouTube video and you're wondering what this is or you just joined the Facebook group, maybe you could watch a bit of this video and sort of get a sense of what this thing is. Um, but it, it may not be as simple as that. We'll see. So... Um, in that spirit, like my first question is going to be a simple, but I think complex one, which is uh, to try to answer the question, what is resistance recovery? Yeah. Um, which is a, probably a harder question to answer than it sounds. I kind of mean that in two, two ways. From where my perspective, resistance recovery seems to be like a set of ideas, um, a set of like, um, like you could probably write a recovery resistance recovery manifesto that had a certain number of points to it. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, it also seems like some kind of a social movement of some kind. There's a, at least a Facebook presence and a YouTube presence, and I don't know what else other kind of presences. So before we get to the ideas, I guess I kind of want to know about the social part of it. Do, you, do we know yet what resistance recovery <laughs> is or what it like wants to be in terms of like, it's not aiming to be a nonprofit, I don't think, or does it want to be? Yeah, I don't, there's no immediate plans for it to be that. Um, well, the good news is, is that it, it's big enough that it wants to be something. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's bad news, but what it wants to be isn't necessarily what I thought it would be when I was sitting on the couch a year and some change ago. Sure. Um, so what it's become is um, a community of people. I don't know if I can even, I guess mostly in recovery. Mm -hmm. um, mostly have some sort of relationship with me. Uh -huh. which is a little, you know, I kind of hope that would, I hope that will change. Uh -huh. And then in that group, there is beginning to be um, uh, connections being made amongst the people who know me, but don't know one another. 
Right. Um, and some of this happens right on the Facebook page and some of this happens in little private conversations and threads off of that. A little bit happens interpersonally face-to-face. Um, and then there is this thing that I shouldn't minimize. There is these communities where the ideas get expressed. And these communities are actually Rockland Recovery Treatment Center, uh-huh. Grace and Aletheia Houses in Portland. Uh-huh. And so these are people that are new to recovery or maybe they've been in treatment off and on for years and they are interacting with these ideas and interacting with one another. Okay. So it's kind of a social media community thing, but it's also an incubator maybe for ideas that then show up in treatment centers or in various ways. Hopefully in the world of recovery. Yeah. Um, And then there are the audience for like what we're doing right now and the audience for the podcast, and they seem to be a bit different. So they're less recovery, more interested in these related ideas. And they are a lot of people I don't know. So actually a lot of those people I don't know, and they're from around the world. Right, okay. You know, I'd love to hear from you if you're watching. Yeah, right, it'd be interesting. And maybe they don't know there's a Facebook group they can try to get into, maybe they'd be curious. Um, tell me a little bit about a year and a half ago on the couch when you were dreaming what this thing could be. Um, I had quit my job, Mm -hmm. um, for ethical reasons and I took advantage of COVID money (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, these ideas. So, so in that previous job, a lot of these points. I've been delivering those points there. I didn't have a name of resistance recovery or anything, but I'd been doing that for about four years. Yeah. And, um, and I was just thinking about the ideas and, you know, I was doing what I usually do, which is kind of moving chess pieces in my head and putting puzzles together in my head. Yeah. And I thought, fuck it. You know, I got time. Mm-hmm. And so, and, you know, I made a Facebook page. Uh, Facebook group and you know then it started moving right yeah. right okay did you have a vision in your mind at that time of like what you wanted it to look like you wanted to oh yeah it was really really grandiose yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell us that tell us that one um, it was that these ideas that you know I, I believe this I just don't uh, believe it maybe too much but these ideas their time has come Mm-hmm. There are people who don't know each other that need to know each other. And that when the recovery community gets a hold of these ideas, it'll spread like wildfire. Right. Okay. And of that, it's spread, not like wildfire. And some and I've made it possible that some of these people are getting to know each other, which right. is a big thing. I, I, okay. I like that. Yeah. So the, the big vision is being realized in a small way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Ever, ever smaller. Right. But then it tells me too that like the vision, the, what this thing is in a way is uh, it's meant to be transformative of the recovery. It has a goal in mind, mm-hmm. uh, which is a sort of reformation movement for the recovery movement as a whole. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wants to change the way we think about 
stuff in recovery, mm. right? And the way we think about addiction and recovery, maybe on a policy scale, you're looking to transform the way governments think about this stuff? No, I don't have any beliefs that that'll happen. I, I do believe it's, uh, there's, it's a set of ideas that, I mean, okay, where it's gone from to what it is now is the more modest version is that resistance recovery could eventually become an advocacy movement for addicts, which I think is, and it affected others, which is sorely, sorely lacking in the uh -huh. state anyway. Right. Um, advocacy advocacy the, to whom? Um, to not go down certain paths that aren't helpful. Okay. And to create certain uh, grassroots, non-professional sort of networks that are helpful. Right. Um, and to have this backed with solid research and mm -hmm. community building kind of thing. Yeah. Right. So again, not advocating to policymakers or local governments or whatever, but advocating. I mean, if people within resistance recovery want to try that, go for it. But mm -hmm. I think it's a fool's errand at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's my experience. Sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, so advocating publicly and to the movement itself. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What to avoid, what to try. Right. So, you know, if you had, if everything went according to the dream version of this. <laughs> you mean the grandiose one or the... Uh, well, I don't know. Has, has, have you, has that dream been revised? Is there a downscaled, less grandiose uh, vision for the future now? Um, well, I feel like I'm seeing a community emerging that wants to emerge and I'm willing to just ride that. Sure. See what it becomes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. So it becomes the work of community management and community growth and yeah. see, what, see what comes out of that. Cool. Yeah. Um, okay. So then let's talk about the idea side of resistance recovery. Right. I don't think anybody's boiled this down into a manifesto with like 10 easy points or anything. No, but that's something you and I would probably wind up doing. Do <laughs> <laughs> you know that or not? Right. <laughs> yeah. But so what does that look like? What are What is this nest of ideas that we're getting ourselves into? Uh, the number one idea, and probably Bruce Alexander gets the most credit for this, is that the etiology, the causes or causes of addiction are not primarily individual and biological. They are social. And that there's something afoot in the world that some things afoot in the world that are making addiction spread like crazy. Mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the central idea. Um, right. Which okay. has, you know, forever in its implications. Right, there's a lot to tease out there. Yeah. Is that, would you say that's the one thing that this is built on? Is there another, is it like a second pillar or anything? Or are we sort of dealing with that and it's fallout? Um, well, then it, everything follows from that. There's a whole okay. set of ideas that follow from that. I think they're all smaller. Right. Addiction has social causes. Now let's re-examine basically. Yeah, addiction is, is a, social phenomenon right okay so tell me a little bit about the implications then what are the sort of top level well the top level implications if you want to just go right to radical 
you would go to people like Alexander, who, who has this sort of little running group of people mm -hmm. uh, who would include Gabor Mate and um, Mark Lewis. And uh, I think you could put Bruce Rogers Vaughn in there. I haven't asked him directly this question. Um, and they are all following a line of thought that a lot of people in the recovery world don't know has always been there. And that is basically challenging the idea that this is a disease at all. Mm -hmm. And I think the arguments that it's not a disease are actually very strong. And if you say it's not a disease, then you're left with, well, what is it? Um, but the second part of it, if it's not a disease, then we have a reason, uh, we have an explanation why medical intervention has been so ineffectual. Right. Because medical intervention is trying to treat a disease. Right. If it's not a disease, right? Right. So that raises a lot of questions then about the role of psychiatry and the role of um, treatment as an industry. Right. Just those two things come up following that. And so now who, who or what is the consumer in light of that? Or what does the consumer become? Or what's the perils of being a consumer if, if those things, if it's not a disease? Tell me what you mean by consumer in this context. 55-year-old woman is going to treatment for the first time for alcoholism. Okay. Consumer of treatment products. Yes. Right. Everything from detox to Suboxone to uh, the, the DWE driving class. The consumers across the, the spectrum of substance abuse. Right. Some of whom may have been court ordered or something and not think of themselves as mm. but they're they are taking in what that's right. Um, the disease a narrative, a narrative is being foisted upon them. Right. Sure. The narrative primarily being that addiction is a disease and this is the treatment for it. Right. And one big part of that, and, and I think Bruce Rogers Vaughn states this very strongly, is that um, the disease model, one of its strongest arguments for it was that it reduced stigma. And Vaughn argues just the opposite, and I'm in wholehearted agreement with him, that it actually increases stigma mm -hmm. because it means that James Ryan is individually defective, different, abnormal, and that is stigmatizing. Right. That's what makes us cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Not to everybody else, though. Um, so I think that that, that, I, that core idea here is going to be hard for some people to wrap their heads around. Um, some people, like, you know, if you've come from 12-step recovery and you're used to thinking about, I have a disease, I name it every time I go to a meeting and the treatment that I have for that disease has worked. So why wouldn't I think of it that way? Um, that might be hard for people to kind of get their heads around, even if they might agree with some of the implications in terms of the way treatment ought to work or the way that, um, you know, treatment products ought to be uh, created. Uh, do you have any, what would you say to someone who's um, been around the rooms for a while 
and discovers resistance recovery, and then sort of has this knee-jerk reaction to uh, the core idea? Well, I mean, I would, you're always inviting them to do research. Um, but one thing I would point out is even though the big book of AA says, calls it an illness, the official understanding, the AMA kind of understanding, I don't know if it was the AMA then, of uh, alcoholism as a disease did not go into effect until 1953. So Mark Lewis's little book, um, Biology of Desire, briefly goes over how it became designated disease. And you'll see that that's pretty political. Um, then there's just, you know, numerous interesting things like when you look at uh, brain activity in gamblers, people gambling addicts and shopping addicts and video gaming addicts, the, the neural pathways that are being lit up look very much like somebody who's addicted to speed or cocaine. And yet no one would say that shopping is a disease. Um, I might. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, bad example. Um, uh, so, you know, and you just keep stacking it, but also I think the distressing failure of the medical model really speaks to something. And when we, when, you know, this is so funny because I once said this in a little thread and on a LinkedIn thing with a bunch of substance abuse professionals, I said, medicine has utterly failed in treating addiction. You know, this guy is kind of a wonky wonk in the thing said, uh, who are you to say that? You know, and I found that just so strange because we have all, right? It's right in front of you. Right, right. Addicts don't get better because of pills and procedures. Right. Um, but there's a, there's a, so that's a knee-jerk reaction in the professional field, which is sort of. But the two, the two sort of bleed in, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. I mean, a lot of what people experience from the clinicians finds its way into the 12-step halls. Right. Yeah. For sure. And vice versa, 12-steppers end up in treatment roles. And, right. Yeah. Um, so sometimes, we, we, I don't know, over the last, I guess, 20 years or whatever, there's been some hot takes in, uh, in uh, journalism here and there. I think The Atlantic published something like this maybe in the last 10 years. There were sort of like takedowns of 12-step models that said, ah, addiction is not a disease. But the, the critique was rather that it was just sort of kind of a collective brainwashing of people that go into AA. Um, and that it's sort of a, it creates a social situation where you then interpret yourself as, a, as something that you're not and therefore then um, are actually doing harm to yourself. Um, of course, people within the rooms react strongly against that. Um, I don't think resistance recovery is making that argument, though. When it's saying it's not a disease, is it saying that, um, like those scholars or those uh, people have said, that um, is it a critique of the sort of social uh, uh, sort of idea reshaping that happens to people when they go into recovery meetings? Does that make sense? Yeah, um, there's so much there. Yeah. So, you know, when I read negative critiques of the 12-step world, I'm usually 
in substantial agreement with a lot of what they say. Okay, sure. That it can be shaming and that it's dominated by white men and that it's, um, it gives somebody a facile explanation for the problems in their lives. And, yeah. But the one thing that I always invariably when I read those articles object to is the authors are never making a distinction between the 12 steps and AA. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, as you and I have seen, we've seen there's a subculture within AA of people who actually do step work, do these spiritual exercises, and they seem to be, for the most part, a very different community than the rank and file of AA. Right. Um, there's a, you know, but, but just to kind of weave it back to resistance recovery, so resistance recovery is definitely a place where you can talk about all that. And that's just trying to encourage that. And there's yeah. kind of a fairly famous thread in resistance recovery. It keeps coming and going of this person who had all the credentials you could want as an addict and all the credentials you could want as a 12 stepper. Mm -hmm. And, but she makes a decision after doing research that, um, she doesn't necessarily think it's a disease and, you know, and there's a lot of uh, misinformation in the halls and assumptions made. And so she has gone back to social drinking. She writes about it and talks about it and uh, causes, can be quite interesting. <laughs> um, and it's still in the end, it's amb ambiguous because she is a person of real honesty and sincerity. And she says, you know, and then um, drink a little bit. And I haven't had really any problems. Maybe I got hangover once or twice, but this has been going off for a year. And, but she says, and then I started smoking pot and um, I found myself getting kind of lazy and really looking forward to it after work. And I gained a lot of weight. And so, you know, it depends how you read this. So, you know, I think the narrative will be that she can back off of that and she learned her lesson. And then if you are committed to some of this 12 step stuff, you're going, well, see, right. Um, you've, you've opened the door and now something's going on and maybe manageable, but you can't deny that something's going on. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm, I, I don't know if I have a big dog in the fight with a lot of that, I, I, because what I've seen repeatedly is people who are addicts, you know, they say, well, the dentist, I was so scared. They told me that I could take some Xanax and then, you know, five years later, they're still using. I mean, I, I, I personally have dealt with an awful lot of that. Mm -hmm. Now I sit down with Bruce Alexander and he will point out to me and I don't, question the data, and this is some of the stuff that that woman was referring to, that there are many people who identify as addicts and behave like addicts, and there's something that almost looks like spontaneous recovery. Well, we, now I unpack that with, with Alexander, and he says yeah. he thinks there's something going on with those people, whether it's church or family or something that though not called recovery acts in that role is integrative you would say 
Right. I don't know. It's a, but you know, I, personally, you and I, we don't deal with many spontaneous recoveries. You know, we hear happen. about them. We hear stories, anecdotal stories all the time. Yeah. I met, I mean, I met people who spontaneously recovered with like without steps or anything, just suddenly had a radical transformation of their lives and personality. And then we're not even interested in using anymore and, and had like the, basically what somebody's really good experience in 12 steps would look like, but just totally in the wild. Um, so I know, but I think there's a distinction between like that kind of experience and then somebody who can go back to social drinking. Um, oh, well, it's a good point. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly if the expectation is that, something can happen and then we can go back to using that's a different treatment modality for sure. <laughs> well, you push Alexander in the corner mm-hmm. and he would say that he believes that should be possible. It should be possible. Yeah. And I don't know that I agree with him. Okay. See, Alexander would say that if you became through some series of events that may involve recovery or not, you go through a period where you become well integrated in your life, meaning whatever the, the disconnections that were going on that drove you to seek relief and substance abuse are taken care of, then the, these things shouldn't be a threat to you. Right. My rejoinder to him is that for most people in America anyway, that getting integrated thing is nearly impossible. Right. And I think that applies to me and you and everyone we know. Right. Right. Depends what the threshold is for integration. Right. And the threshold for integration, I would argue vehemently, is way worse, you know, in 2021 than it was in 1934. So, yeah. Yeah. Bill Wilson being a 12 stepper, he could probably assume that this man has a marriage or. He has a neighborhood or he has these social things like church or the softball league or whatever, the policeman's guild that he can go into. And I, I think what, what I see now, it took me a long time to realize I was seeing this is uh, white bison kind of help with this, but that we were returning people to such impoverished lives that recovery was a really hard proposition. Right. All right. You may have just reached point two in the manifesto. <laughs> point one is that it's it's a social cause, it's socially caused, not biologically or psychologically caused. Or the second, I think, would be that the social situations have gotten worse. Is that fair to say? Yes. Yeah. I think that's easily tracked. Right. Um, um, I think a person of a certain age just agrees from personal experience. Right. Young people, though, don't have perspective because they grew up in this post-digital world, globalization and all these things people write about, and it's pretty bad. Right. They don't have what Dunnington calls a contrasting set of experience. It seems normal. Yep. The thing we're saying is worse, they say, well, that's just how it is. Yep. Sure. Occasionally, oh. uh, a young person will say to me, well, isn't this 
wasn't it always kind of like this one way or another? And, you know, you have to say, no, it really wasn't. Mm -hmm. Right. I want to back up a little bit. I guess this is good, you know, transition from talking to the young folks coming in. Um, let's imagine that you've got somebody fresh out, I don't know, fresh out of detox or off, right off the street and they're, they want to get sober. They want to, they know they got a problem. Um, I kind of know what the 12 stepper would say to them. Like if you got five minutes with this person, what do you say? I kind of have a pretty good sense of what that spiel looks like. Uh, what does resistance recovery say to that person? Brand new, looking to get well. It, what's the well, I mean, so that's a great question. So what you're sort of asking me is what, see, because the exigencies of working in a treatment center would not allow you to do this, but yeah. I think what you really want to know is what um, what the hell is going on in their life, uh -huh. you know. So you see this sometimes. Sponsorship fails because the sponsor doesn't so fixated on the drugs and alcohol. They don't find out about my mother died of cancer last year and she was my best friend, mm -hmm. or you know, I just got out of jail sponsor's never been in jail and doesn't right. investigate what that implies. Right. So it would mean that resistance recovery would have to be, you know, there's a thing in psychology that you don't see anymore. It's called the case study, right? There was a treatment place in California that got shut down for, they were called level 10 plus plus kids. These were the kids who couldn't go home and they couldn't go to any kind of system. And what the, the, the director of this place would do is when a new kid came in, he would have his staff sit down as a group, all different kinds of staff people. And he would say, he would give this excruciating detailed case study of what that child went through in its life. Mm. And, and if you could go beyond that and say a little bit about what the parents had gone through. And he said what he was trying to do is sort of break the hearts of his staff. Right. So that they approach this person very differently than your set of pain in the ass behaviors. Right. And I do see this now. I see this a lot in AA that there's some sort of principle that you're supposed to sponsor everybody, anybody who asks, and then somebody shows up and you either don't have the chops to deal with what they're bringing or you're so narrowly fixated on them not picking up a drink or a drug that you, 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 you just reduce the problem to a behavior. Right, right. Yeah. So it sounds like, I don't know, if the 12 stepper is going to say, like, go to meetings, ask for help, work the steps, don't pick up a drink. There's like all these like pithy right. bits of advice. Yeah. What I'm hearing from you is there's sort of like a, a questioning. Tell me about yourself. What are you dealing with? What load are you carrying? And trying to find out as much as you can about the person. Yeah. Is that about right? Yeah, it's about what does it mean to be really with somebody? Um, 
and you know these so so if you get in this these critiques then people's capacity to be with one another in that way is actually diminishing and the problem's getting worse and that's part of that dynamic yeah uh if you looked at a way you know don p used to talk about towards the latter part of his life he would get sent the people that nobody could help (laughs) and they'd be like they'd come to don like this is this 12 steps it's all useless i've tried it i've done it i've been a come a drug counselor i can't and don said what he would do would he would say well in that case i would just hang around with him. Hmm. errands chores you want to go to the movies we're having a barbecue and to me there's some that's kind of what we're talking about i'm not going to reject you i'm not going to just gonna get to know you and i'm gonna get to know you in this sort of casual and yet intimate kind of way organic as organic as that can be right let you know that you're welcome here i remember him saying you don't need a sponsor you need an aa friend somebody said that that yeah. was line, right yeah jerry said that yeah, yeah right or, or jerry said don said that to him. Yeah. right yeah, and I don't think we've, we've seen much of that. And in fact, I've seen what little that we have seen has gotten eroded by some of these forces. Um, mm-hmm. What we do see is we see, you know, people that toe the line or they, or they, have, they have powerful 12-step experiences that I'm not questioning their validity or whatever. And they become, they get new identity and they get a new self, uh, a new status and they feel good about themselves. And if that person relapses, they become, they're fairly shunned. Uh, they're, uh, they're, they're a failure. They make people, people don't want to look at that, you know? And if they're to come back into the community, they have to ingratiate themselves. And I don't, I think there's something really troubling there. Mm-hmm. In terms of the social boundary around, yeah, it's a shunning. It's not. It's not community. That I mean, it looks more like it's a. It's more of a herd than a community. It may feel like a, a community in the herd, right? But boy, it doesn't look like a community when you're the one who's getting shunned, right? It's like a scapegoating of the person who relapses or. A- Right, and that goes back to this individual thing where we're going to start blaming, right? Mm-hmm. Um, although sometimes blame is appropriate, I don't. I'm not saying it isn't. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but that, I think we, there maybe there's a third pillar here, which is um, or a consequence maybe of, of of the main idea, which is something of so it, resistance recovery has something to say about individualism. Boy, sure does. Right? And what would that be? Um, it would be that it is, uh, it is on steroids in our society, and it, too much emphasis on it is corrosive of the social fabric. Mm-hmm. And that we have got it wrapped into our understanding of addiction and mental disorder. And so we blame people for their failures. People blame themselves for their failures. 
Um, yeah. And, you know, AA will take 12 steps. You know, they inscribe this with the notion of selfishness, which is, you know. So I've said this again and again uh, for the viewers. I'll say it again. Resistance recovery, or Bruce Alexander, resistance recovery really looks at this Ignacio Martin Barrow guy who says there's individual selfishness and there's societal selfishness. Although being a priest, he says individual sin and societal sin. And when society rewards the most socially destructive aspects of human nature, which is greed and competition and violence, then something like addiction is going to just spread like well. Mm -hmm. So this would mean that we live in a time where the leading institutions reward the individual selfishness. Greed is a good thing. Competition is good for everybody. There are winners and losers. The entrepreneurial self, get your game on, hustle, yada, yada, yada. Um, so I would say that the big book is correct in that, in this sense that if I am preoccupied, so preoccupied with how I feel that it comes at the expense of my wife and my kids and my friends and all that, you can call that selfish. But I would say what resistance recovery says back to that is the reason why you're preoccupied with how you feel is is because you don't feel good. So you see that blame thing kind of goes back with resistance recovery. We pull back on the blame and we say, well, yeah, somebody who grew up like that doesn't feel good and therefore they are preoccupied with feeling better. I think that's, personally, I think that's huge. That's a huge shift. For who? For the addict. For the, okay. Because instead of saying, there's a certain subsection of people who are more selfish pricks than everybody else, and they're called alcoholics and addicts. They're <laughs> saying, no, there's a subsection of people who are wounded, much like everybody else is wounded, but they can't hide their wounds. Mm -hmm. And we need to pay attention to what they have to tell us. Right. There's deep, deep meaning and, and significance and what does it mean to actually help these people successfully? Right. What does that tell us about everything else? Is there a definition of addiction in that? Is there like a resistance recovery? Uh, I just like Alexander's. Alexander's is cool. uh, any overwhelming involvement with a substance or an activity that is harmful to you and your social relations. Right. Vodka, heroin, shopping, weight rooms, digital porn. Anything. Yeah. As long as it's harm, it has to be harmful to you and to other people. Right. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, so, you know, I'm about to put down $100 on fantasy football. <laughs> I don't, you know, and I don't do that every year, but I, I, I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Um I don't have a gambling problem. Sure. Just like I was largely oblivious to me, you know, unless I get all happy I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know what I mean? No. Yeah. 
on the other hand, you know, this is a great one. Uh, the gym, very hard for a lot of people to imagine that the gym could fall under that category of addiction. And yet how many clients have I had who lost recovery and everything else to the gym? Mm -hmm. So nothing, nothing wrong with exercise. It's good for you, but if it comes at the expense of your recovery or of your girlfriend and you got a problem. Right. Right. That definition that doesn't sort of, it's interesting. It certainly works, but it doesn't include the social causes. Um, it doesn't say, and it's caused. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. But it, yeah, it's really, that is very interesting. So, so it's interesting. You've got, social dislocation causing addiction mm -hmm. and you have almost with almost every addict there's this sort of honeymoon period with substance use which is like cheers yeah. you know, everybody knows your name and you got your friends and then you've got the 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 progression of addiction where now it's destroying relationships other than maybe the people i get high with mm -hmm. so the cause and the consequences, the consequences further the dislocation at large. Right. When you have whole neighborhoods and families suffering from addiction, well, of course, that's going to cause more dislocation. Right. Right, right, right. It's a dynamic for sure. There's a dynamic there between the social and the personal, between mm -hmm. the individual and the, and, yeah. and neighborhoods and generations and ethnicities, and law enforcement. Mm -hmm. yeah. So addiction is some kind of social dynamic and it is like certain people who uh, can't hide their wounds become overwhelmingly involved with things that are harmful to them. Right. Um, and then, and then, of course, then create consequences back into society, which then becomes this social vicious circle, right? Right. And 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 dislocation theory or resistance recovery is by including your phone and your gambling and your cigarettes and your food and all that it is saying, inviting you to bring everybody under the tent. And what it really believes is if we start bringing all Americans into the tent. There are not going to be many people left outside the tent. Okay. 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 So not only is addiction a really common phenomenon because it has all these, well, maybe this is another pillar is that addiction is like a broad dynamic that lots of people experience who wouldn't necessarily call themselves addicts. Right. And that means that not only do I as an individual have to look at a whole bunch of my behaviors as potentially part of this dynamic, but also we have to be, we're sort of embracing a larger number of people who are suffering, maybe who don't even know they're suffering. And this is where Vaughn just takes the baton from Alexander and says, although he got somebody else, but he says, there is a normotic illness afoot in the land. Yeah. It's so pervasive that many people don't recognize that they have it because they've always had it and everybody else has it. Right. Um, but this is not a, a healthy organic way to live. We right. are, we are 
you know, so Sardello, interesting, says that when you have a, a malady, and, and he was thinking more physically, but you agreed you could put addiction in here. When you have a malady that a huge part of the population is suffering from, so cancer, uh, heart disease, obesity, yeah. addiction, he says what that speaks to is that the whole society is dying. The civilizations, mm-hmm. it's death throes. And what he goes on further to say is what happens is the society moves into a management mode where we are going to try to manage these conditions. It's almost like we lose the imagination of healing the condition. So you have type 2 diabetes, you're obese, you could handle this if you change your diet and exercise, but you're going to just go with the med keep the unhealthy lifestyle, take the medication. Right. Maybe you can't afford to buy healthy food. I don't know. Um, you know, cancer. We can extend life's life. We can live with it. We can. And now you're hearing with addiction that it's a chronically relapsing condition. Um, you, it's almost like Faith in, in a healing outcome is it's gone, right? Right. Or uh, unless you are in the you know, there's certainly people in the recovery community that don't believe that, but the academic world and the clinical world seem to be telling us you you got to expect relapse. It's part of recovery. Sure. Well, if you work in treatment long enough, you see plenty of it. If you hang out in the AA, you see plenty of it. Yep. Um, you probably see more of it than you see long-term recovery. So I can see why that perspective might develop that kind of hopelessness or whatever, but let's, let's go to this. Let's go. We've sort of talked about what addiction is, sort of have a sense of what that is from a resistance recovery perspective. What then is recovery? So this is Piers's definition. Yeah. Using this recovery is the identification and the resolution of the factors that gave rise to the addiction to begin with. Okay. So if you unpack that a little bit, then what that means is you, you have to break down your own, your own etiology, how you became an addict, what was driving that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably invariably going to take you into trauma and, couched around that is, or stress, is the social causes of the trauma and the stress. It also will explain why you are preoccupied with affect regulation, meaning I feel bad because of these things, and that's why I have to regulate my affect with gambling and cigarettes and all that. Um, So what it means is you're trying to move from affect regulation at the very least to something called affect tolerance. And that means when you start understanding why you are the way you are, um, there's relief in that. And then you can also start taking proactive ways of dealing with 
especially things like stress or especially how you understand yourself in relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a much bigger thing than just getting sober. Right. And so what I would say about people like us who get tremendous dividends from uh, step work and then start having these questions deep in the game and start having these feelings or whatever, it's because we've just milked it and there's nothing left. And now we need something more. There's nothing wrong with that. That's probably why we're having this conversation in a big part. Not just what we see, but also what we experience as individual men. Right, right. So let me let me push back on that definition a little bit um, or probe it a little bit. It seems like the definition of addiction is um, that it's a it's a social dynamic that's sort of contained in me, but not just in me. It's also between me and this world. And it's largely a product of this world that is itself addicted in ways. And so there's this. But then it sounds like recovery is sort of for the individual to analyze that relationship and recovery still is happening here within me. Yeah. I mean, the implication is that the relationships would have to change in order for the recovery to happen. Right. Yeah. But it's not just relation. Well, it always is kind of relationships, but some of it can be pretty intrapsychic. So, you know, how many clients do I have that are basically introverts? And they're not introverts because somebody put them in a box. They're introverts because that's the way they are. They're born that way. Yeah. And that plays out tremendously in their relationship, usually with alcohol. Mm-hmm. As they can be extroverted. Right. That's so true. that's that would be a, an example where the inner and the outer are. Yeah. But a lot of it is outer. A lot of it is outer. That's what I'm wondering. Like, it, um, is there any social intervention that's necessary for a, for a recovery? Well, I think the steps hit a bunch of them. Um, so a lot of it is interpersonal. That's at least where it starts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to heal relationships. I'm trying to find a measure of forgiveness. I'm trying to really explore sexuality. I don't think the steps give us the right tools for that. Um, and I'm going to deal with guilt and shame. And then moving forward, ideally, I'm going to relate to the world in a different key. Yeah. But as we progress, you know, I've done all that and I hate my job. And I hate my job and I've always hated, I can't seem to get a job I don't hate. And that's beginning to affect, you know, so... A person can hate their job bad enough that they'll relapse. I believe that. Sure. Yeah. Or they can hate their marriage bad enough. Right, right, right. Both. So then we're back to why do you hate your job? Why are there only jobs that people hate? Why is corporate America treated that way? Why does, why is marriage so hard in the absence of drugs? Why is, yeah. Yeah. Well, so then we're thrown back to the, so let's say I get, I get better. I have these pers- inner transformations, but it also plays out in my relationships. And I've got these long grudges that are gone and these long sort of negative attitudes towards people that resolve. And I'm made immense to, in the ways that I've harmed folks. And these relationships are all great. 
Um, a lot of people frame recovery as a sort of reintegration to society, productive member of society. I'm, right. a, I'm a functional member of society. I'm back in the workforce. I'm back. I got money now. I got, I got these relationships and those, those, that interpersonal healing and the being integrated back into, I don't know, contemporary economic life or whatever, and political life are like um, seen as part of the goal. But if what we're saying is that, it, no, you're just basically reintegrating yourself into a society that's producing addiction, then is there something to question there? Some, something. Oh, and I, I, so, so, you know, so great that you're bringing this up that way. Bells are ringing in my head. So it is about being moving forward. So, so much of, so 12 step recovery, so much of it is uh, healing damage in the past. Moving forward, I need to be in relationships that nourish me in a healthy way. And if society is not, you know, affording those, then there's something that has to happen that's creative, generative. And that one is really interesting because when resistance recovery started, I still wasn't really quite, I mean, my, my feelings about that now is that it has to be something very um, organic and small. So it has to be like James hits the NA meeting and he finds that there are these really nerdy guys in there that please him. And he wonders if they're gamers and lo and behold, they're all gamers. Mm -hmm. And so now recovery and gaming have become this thing and it's not going to take over Madison, Wisconsin, but <laughs> my God, is it nourishing for the people that do it? Right. Mm -hmm. and so like, I'm going to go to Alcyon today and it's going to be completely nourishing. And the thing is small and it's just grown organically, but we eat and we talk and we laugh and we do some practices and, that seems to be along the lines of what a solution is supposed to be. So we need, we need to find, I'm going to say fellowship, but I'm going to put air quotes around it. Mm -hmm. we, call, we call AA itself a fellowship. We say the meetings are the fellowship we say, but I think what you're talking about is not go to a meeting and get a coffee commitment, but it sounds like find people you can really connect with in some way or, yeah, so this is another, that, that's another fascinating point. One of the strengths of AA was it did afford that. Yeah. And, you know, I'm always referring to my friend, Sean Powell, who tells me, who asked me, remember how it was back in chapter two? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, we'd go to the diner after. And I go, yeah, the meeting after was better than the meeting. And then he said, nobody does it anymore. Mm -hmm. If they do, they're on their phones. And so what he's, what he's pointing to is there, you know, what he's really saying is that there are certain forces that are intervening in our lives right where we are, in our homes, in our jobs, in our meetings, that are actually preventing this from happening. And there are many people that, you know, don't even know that they're, they're malnourished by not having a meaningful interaction with another person. So it doesn't mean, it means that one of the implications of resistance recovery for sure is this, that you can't count on the institutions of society providing the integration in a way that they did. There's something going on where they don't 
do that. And it's almost like you have to have a kind of new consciousness that as a person, I need this. And I, I've got to make it happen somehow. But the way you got to make it happen is really modest. Mm-hmm. It does, it's not like it has to be grand. It can be gaming. It can be meditating together and walking the dogs in the wood. But, but it has to be. So there's something about the awareness of that that's different. Because before you could take it for granted. You know, we'd go to chapter two and we'd be like, is tonight going to be one of those nights where we get the zap? <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and it, it would happen, you know, reliably. Mm-hmm. And so there's, and this, and, and this change, I think, has happened in a very short time. It happened so quickly that people didn't see it in a lifetime. It, it, mm-hmm. Suddenly they woke up in the world and they're like, Nobody, nobody goes to the diner. Nobody, you know. Yeah. I guess there's a real question here of, so you're saying there's an intentionality about it that has to be present. I have to like, go, yeah, intentionality I, is different now. Yeah. Or, or that I have to go seek it out. I have to go find the gamers or find the dog walkers or find the whatever and try to make some. I have to have my ear to the ground that when... When Joe says to you, let's talk regularly. Yeah. Go, oh, that would be good. Yeah. Yeah. Just to do it. Not for not for any other reason. Just to just to do it. Because a lot of my life is a wasteland. Yeah. And those little points of relationships where there's something that, that works. Right. Those are the oases, right? Right. I don't know if you can, so we're talking about in a way, like, can you manufacture community for yourself? Can you? Well, that's it. You see, that's, that's it. So I don't know that you can, mm-hmm. but I know that you have to. So, you know. <laughs> you can find it in small ways, right? That's I think why I think the small is really important. Okay. Because otherwise we're thinking about, you know, we're thinking that, that ideas should form community and that's not really the way that works. Right. But picking up a new guy who doesn't want to work steps and taking him to the laundromat and taking him to the movies and having dinner once a week and yeah, hanging out that could that could be something like that, right? Even though that guy's going to get on my nerves all kinds of ways. <laughs> yeah, and maybe if he gets on your nerves too much, you shouldn't do it. Right, right. Um, but it might actually develop into a kind of friendship if I don't have expectations about. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that our um, that our relationship depends on some sort of shared identity. Or so that funny yeah. thing, the, the herd versus the community. Mm. The community appreciates difference and eccentricity, and the herd only does that to a point. There's certain the retribalism or something. Right. Um, it affords you security and identity, but. I don't like calling things tribalism. This is a side point, but like, I feel like the tribes have it better than that. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's something that got stuck in there through, I think, Nietzsche. Uh, right. Yeah, he said we would, in the age of nihilism, which he would say is now, we would make an attempt to retribalize. Oh. Uh, it was definitely in a quotation kind of thing. 
re-tribalize, right? And we're going to try to build that out of, I don't know, Facebook affiliation. Yeah, out of these weird kind of, uh, well, and Alexander said we're going to, the market is going to try to regulate it. Sure. Yeah. Or Roger's gone. Right. Okay. So addiction is a kind of social dynamic, which we described a little bit. Recovery involves, yeah, just sort of introspective, deep introspective work and changing the way I relate to others and changing my relationships, but also then seeking out um, in small ways, ways, relationships that really, I don't know, they work or they're nourishing in a way that, um, right. Hard to name, but when humanize, you, yeah, they humanize us. Okay, sure. Yeah, right. We feel we feel connected and grounded in those relationships, and we need to attend to those because when you have it, you should hang on to it, right? Uh, yeah, and it's, and it's affection, right? Yeah. Um, ideally, I suppose there would be some sort of transformation on the societal level where we're not producing addiction anymore, but we haven't gone there in this conversation yeah because i mean i agree with alexander that you're not going to live to see that uh -huh. um but to be at a place culturally where we're thinking we have an awareness all of a sudden what what does this mean mm -hmm. coupled with an awareness if you're in the addiction thing of what not to do then it's definitely a different paradigm. Right. Could tend towards something better. Yeah. But There's it's not a top-down approach. It's not a... It's not a no. no, and that's where the grandiosity has to die. Uh -huh. um, doesn't mean you can't have leaders or hosts or mm -hmm. authors or... But... Right. And it, but it's also not top down in the sense of like, if we destroy capitalism, then we can have better recoveries or something. Right. That's yeah. Like, you know, and I think of, I think I'm, I fear sometimes that the critique of neoliberalism and globalization drives people away uh, um, because it's communist or something. <laughs> you know, I don't even, I'm not even willing to go as far as, Rogers Vaughn that, you know, this is all capitalism. I think, you know, I think the Scandinavians make capitalism work just fine. Sure. But it's not this kind of capitalism. Uh -huh. um, right. But yeah. my larger point is that is that we're not, resistance recovery isn't trying to become a Marxist critique. It's not trying to become a- It's not gonna be afraid of Marx to include no. in the critique. But it, right. it's not going to suggest that the way to fix things is by fixing the top level structures of society. No. Okay. It's going but to be. But it's not going to hesitate to say that there is a billionaire class mm -hmm. that does not care about your neighborhood right. or your kids' well being. Right. Right. Which should not be a controversial. No, no. <laughs> obvious, but yeah, and that shouldn't be yeah. a right left thing. So, what is the resistance then? If the resistance isn't, we got addiction, we got a sense of recovery, which is a little more social maybe than we would have thought before. 
Um, has to be a little more intentionally social than before. What what are we resisting? What's well, the, so resistance, it didn't, it, the meaning of it's kind of changed. Uh -huh. there's, there's the resistance that says, no, mm -hmm. no, I'm not taking your drug. Yeah. No, I'm not paying those prices for your sober house. Right. No, I'm not going to belong to something that it shuns me if I relapse. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also the resistance as an immune system. Okay. So there's a resistance, there's a recovery that can have to do with building up my immune system. Okay. Meaning I have meaningful relationships that I can trust, that I have practices that can get me out of the stress response, that my awareness of myself is such that I, I kind of know the zone that's traumatized and the zone that's mm -hmm. false and the zone that's the protector and the zone that's the persecutor. And that part of my resistance is building herd immunity with other people like that. Mm -hmm. um, that's fascinating. I hadn't heard that before. Well, I hadn't really either, but it's all the COVID stuff that gets, it changes the, the metaphor. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I think that if you look at the way 12 steps functioned 30 years ago, not AA 12 steps, it, it did do that. A lot of that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I had this intimacy. I had this group. I had, there was room for me to be weird. There was room for me to be in community. There were practices to dial things down, to, to forgive. There was, but it's, it's, it's not as strong as it was because it's the forces are stronger. Right. Right. So yeah, this is, if the sick world is going to keep being sick, I guess maybe sick is already the wrong metaphor, but if the, the dynamic of that produces addiction is going to continue in the world, then it's a bit like the bugs that are out there that my immune system needs to be resistant to. So I need yeah. to be able to live and in a toxic world but be resistant to the toxins. Yeah, and it really, it's kind of a Jungian sense of wholeness or, or Sardello even, in that you're not trying to, the, the, the impulse to fix and to exclude the, the, the toxicity is actually making it worse. That, that toxicity is as much part of the whole as your desire to be well. And that it's about being in a certain kind of relationship to the toxicity that will ultimately transform. Right. I don't have the power to make Suboxone disappear. Right. I can make a lot of noise about that and I will get some allies and I'll make some enemies, but it's here. Yeah. Okay. So what's my relationship to that going to be? Um, I don't have the power of Jeff Bezos. I can't, can't get rid of them. Um, <laughs> right. Didn't say I was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Can't make him give his money away. That's right. But I, but I am here. My boots are on the ground and there are people in my life. Right. Trees in my life. And backyard and all that. Right. Okay. And that's what gives you a sort of resilience or a resistance to the. Well, it can't start anywhere else. Yeah. Right. 
see, that's the thing. The grandiosity is, you know, you're infatuated with your ideas, which might be good ideas, but they're not going to go anywhere. They're completely abstract from marriage and washing dishes and sponsoring somebody. So there's a practical application to these ideas, I think. That, that, you know, that, 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 yeah, that hasn't been worked out, but it, maybe it is being worked out in that very messy kind of way. Yeah. I was kind of pushing for that at the beginning where I was saying, like, uh, what do you tell the new guy when he comes in? In other words, what's the dead, simple, basic, practical application? Um, I think that's hard. I think that's hard to come to when the... The critique, there's this big critique. Um, but yeah. it sounds like we're getting to it, which is it's filtering into like look for those relationships. That's at least one practical tip. Yeah. And if you if it if you're still sponsoring somebody through the big book, there's all these room, there's all this room in these conversations mm -hmm. for, for you to attend to these things. Right. So was, like when selfishness, self-centeredness, that's the real, let's stop here for a second. I want to talk about this and then you can introduce. Yeah. And, and what I notice is from having, you know, now it's like six years that I've been delivering these ideas to addicts as part of their treatment program mm -hmm. that, that, that it does change a culture. Things do change. Um, that's less, that's less, I don't want it to be that way. I don't want it to be coming from peers and you're forced to sit in this group, but with a certain percentage of those people, they leave and they continue the conversation. And I know that's happening. Right. Not as much as I'd like, but I know it's happening. Right. You want to talk, um, and one way to talk about practicality, I guess, is to say like, um, beyond sharing ideas, are there ways that the resistance recovery stuff changes a treatment modality, changes what you ought, ought to do in treatment with? Well, yeah, you have to be totally hypothetical because I do not believe that you can, you're, you're extremely limited if you are in America in third party reimbursement. Okay. They dictate what you can do and what you can't do, and big pharma is making money. Sure. So if you had a you've had a fee for service thing, let's assume you had a fee for service thing that by some miracle poor people could access, it would mean that you're you're placing a premium on getting out of the stress response. So you're placing a premium on comfort, kindness. Uh, certain somatic modalities, uh, the natural world, um, dogs, whatever. You're, 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 you're getting people relaxed. You're getting them out of that stress. The, everything in the environment is conducive to that. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's sweatpants. Um, and then you introduce them to some techniques that allow them to do that. And you, as it gets further, you, you, you know, you do your step work, whatever, but you introduce them to some trauma stuff. So some sort of EMDR, some sort of ideas, some sort of, uh, I don't know, yoga, tapping, whatever. And, and then 
you have eventually, you know, and you're, you're, you're giving them this big context picture the whole time, but then you've got the transition of them leaving, which is the trauma. So you actually have to prepare them for that trauma. And then you're over time, you're trying to build up little satellite communities to a less that replicate some of this stuff to a lesser degree. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's rocket science. I really don't. I think people think addiction is much, you know, I think treating addiction is, is hard, of course, because of a dislocated environment. The treating addiction is also hard because of these stupid, counterproductive, exploitative ideas and practices that pass as treatment. Uh-huh. Okay. People are not getting better because of treatment. That's that's the other resistance. Yeah, that sounds like the most the most resistancy resistance that we yeah yeah right is it's like yeah, and and the state will never admit it's wrong, and the hospital will never admit it's wrong. And so if you find yourself in dialogue with them, you probably need to say, I know you're never going to admit you're wrong, but you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And either you want to listen to me or you we have nothing to talk about. And you don't defer to all their authority, which is just based on money. It's not based on an established track record of success. Right. Okay. You do not defer to these people because they have nothing to show for themselves. So... Is this fair to say that if resistance recovery wanted to make like a social level intervention, it would be at the level of how does insurance work? How does um, uh, treatment modalities work? How do like- you need to know those things? But I mean, a real resistance recovery recovery, given the way the game is played now, is um, okay. You need to go to detox. We'll get you through detox. Don't get on any of these meds. When you get out of detox, you're going to go straight to the sober living house. Mm-hmm. you're not going to go to treatment mm-hmm. you're going to go to a place that's completely non-professional where there's a dog and young and mm-hmm. we eat food together once a week twice a week five times a week and we meditate and we've got to deal with the yoga studio i don't know but right. yeah you you gotta just cut them out of it mm-hmm. most the most dynamic thing is to just not give them your money I mean, in, in a capitalist, <laughs> in a hyper-capitalist society, not buying the product is the most lethal thing you can do to them. Right. right. And certainly not buying the product five times when it failed four. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You would think insurance companies would have figured that out already. They're, they're you know, their yeah. biggest... Uh, Biggest lobby in America now is pharmaceuticals. Right. Than oil. So. Right, right, right. So we've gone a while. I don't want to. Yeah, we've gone a lot of ground. Yeah. Um, I would really ask the audience if you want this conversation to continue or if you want more details, just reach out to us. Otherwise, we might be one and done. <laughs> I mean, it'll come up, obviously. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a, you know, if there's interest in this, I think there's a more personal version of this conversation where I'm more like, why did you become interested in this stuff? We didn't sort of touch on that stuff, which we could do in another, another time. Well, yeah. And if people want that, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to be pretty nakedly honest. So. Right. Cool. All right, man. Thanks for the conversation. 
Yeah, thank you. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us. For more information, you can find us at resistancerecovery.com.